Welcome to the Construction Disruption Podcast, where we uncover the future of design, building, and remodeling. I'm Todd Miller of Isaiah Industries, manufacturer of specialty metal roofing and other building materials. Today, my co-host is Seth Heckman. How are you today, Seth? I'm doing well. How are you? I'm doing well also. So um, I know you and I have talked a little bit about a topic that I think we're going to be hearing more and more about in everything, not just construction, but in, in the entire world. And uh, you haven't dug into it a whole lot yet, but um, that is the topic of AI and AI-generated text uh, that everyone's doing with ChatGPT and Google Bard and a number of others. So um, to me, that's something that's incredibly disruptive. So it seems like an important thing to talk about here on the show, although we do have a guest also who's not talking about AI. But um, I was sitting in a meeting this week and Folks were brainstorming, and I know as I say this, I'm probably driving a stake through Ethan's heart. Ethan's one of our behind-the-scenes here, folks here, and um, he also does a, a lot of writing and, and an incredible writer. Um, but as I said in this meeting this week, we were trying to come up with some marketing ideas. It was a church-related thing I was at. So a guy just started plugging stuff in, come up with marketing slogans on this and this, and he was using ChatGPT. I've used Google Bard more than I have ChatGPT. Um, but yeah, this thing was coming up with really some good marketing slogans. And you know, one of the things I got to thinking about as I listened to that was probably an up-and-coming career is going to be AI editor, so people who are good at writing who simply can go in and edit uh, AI-generated things. But, um, you know, the other thing I'm hearing a lot about is AI-generated video um, and the fact that you'll just be able to plug in and it'll pop up a video that's been generated sure. on a particular topic. And, you know, that's going to have a huge impact on marketing and uh, all the th world that we live in so much, helping contractors generate leads and things like that. So, so this morning, before we started recording, um, some of our audience realizes that a lot of times we'll start episodes with a dad joke or something that really is a groaner. So I asked ChatGPT, I said, write me a dad joke about something new. That's all I said. In this process, I discovered that while ChatGPT may be good at some things, and excuse me, this was actually Google Bard, um, it is really bad at writing jokes. So let me tell you the <laughs> joke <laughs> that, that Google Bard came up with. It's asked, what do you call a newt, N-E-W-T, which I guess it pulled because I asked it to write a joke about something new. What do you call a newt that just got a promotion? The answer is a newt manager. <laughs> uh, I really had to work to even figure out what the joke was, but... That's a worse dad joke than you typically come up with. Oh, so that's, yes, that's, it's yeah, it's got so it got a ways to go. So, so the bard is not particularly <laughs> good at jokes, apparently. But uh, anyway, I think there's a lot of useful stuff there. People talk about being scared of it and stuff, and I guess I can relate to that. I am concerned about how it impacts job market, but it seems like anytime you have technology come along that feels like it's going to take jobs, it actually also creates jobs of some sort. And, and so I think we'll, we'll see a little bit of both happen with this. So anyway, are you ready to go ahead and get it rolling and quit listening to me babble now, Seth? <laughs> That's okay. Sounds great. <laughs> okay. Here we go. Well, today's guest I'm very excited about. Today's guest is Gavin Coyle. Um, Gavin is CEO of Coyle Group based in County Dublin, Ireland. Um, Coyle Group provides safety consulting services to contractors across the globe. And Gavin himself is known as the safety CEO. Um, Gavin, welcome to Construction Disruption. It's a real pleasure to have you here today. Hey, Todd. I'm delighted to be here. Thanks very much. I'm looking forward to having a chat. Well, I know it'll be a great discussion. So 
Um, in, in looking at Coil Group, I know that you guys provide consulting and, and safety management consulting, um, but you also do some providing safety managers under contract to go out and spend time in the field with your clients, as I understand it. Um, can you just kind of give us an overview of what your company does and you know who your typical clients are as far as size or maybe certain industries in construction that are genres of construction they work with? Yeah, uh, thanks very much. Um, so we kind of created a niche for ourselves in the energy sector and power generation and utilities and uh, a large proportion, if not all of our uh, clients operate in those areas. Um, and I suppose it was a strategic vision for myself in terms of wanting to work with premium type clients in a highly regulated area uh, that had assets to protect. And so what we found was there was a gap whereby these particular companies were either having maintenance schedules um, in terms of outages and shutdowns and overhauls, or they were building new assets. And so they wouldn't have the same level of capacity of health and safety within the overall organization on a continuous basis to deal with the level of the amount of projects that they were dealing with. So we tapped into that market very early in terms of providing uh, an outsourced solution where they could come to us and we would give them a safety person who had 20 plus years experience in that particular industry that could manage the overall health and safety for that project to bring it through from the start right through to the end. And so over the years, we've become very established with a reputation that we don't just provide the people, we also provide like a managed service behind that. So I would work with the leaders and with the the clients and, and their team on strategy and, you know, what it is that we can uh, get out of this project that we could use as a a future experience for future projects, uh, like a lessons learned and uh, how do we implement that and how do we change systems and change cultures in order to deal with um, uh, protecting against uh, certain scenarios and certain risks uh, becoming more consistent within those type of environments. So it's been very challenging, but very rewarding. And the type of people that we deal with on a daily basis are extremely knowledgeable and technical in their own areas and in their own right and i kind of get a great buzz from working with people like that because you could just feed off their enthusiasm and their motivation and their you know their their want to get up and go and, and deliver a, a project not just a safe project but a quality project and um you know we are where we are today we're, we're with you know major multinational clients across the world building wind farms and power stations and and it's exciting um if not you know um stressful at times oh absolutely i can imagine and and certainly i assume those are projects that are on tight timetables a lot of times also and you know sometimes tight timetables can accidentally become the enemy of safety also i suppose but uh so I'm I'm kind of curious, um, what interested you in this line of work and what drove your passion for safety? I, I know I heard you tell a little bit of that story um, on a podcast you were on recently with our mutual friend, Jim Johnson, um, but would love to have you share it uh, here on the, some of that here on this show as well. Um, yeah, so like uh, I live in Ireland, small, obviously, country um, surrounded by water and uh at one stage, maybe 20 odd years ago, um, we became a magnet for American clients who wanted to probably step a foot into Europe. And we were the first country they probably hit in terms of uh, land base, if you like. And we had the likes of Water Lambert, which is now Pfizer's. Uh, we had Intel, Hewlett Packard, um, Compaq, all the the big names uh, that were trying to establish a foothold in the European markets were coming into Ireland and building hyperscale projects. Um, I just come out of school and one of the main requirements uh, on these projects was a full-time health and safety officer, which was 
never really a thing in Ireland. Uh, a lot of people scratching their heads going, what do you mean a full-time health and safety officer? What does that person do? And what kind of a qualification do these people have? So um, I was told to go to a meeting, a health and safety meeting, and sort of really, really liked um, you know, the whole concept of, well, we're not just here to work, we're also here to, to, be, to work safely. And um, we want everybody going home uh, to their families. And I totally embraced um, that whole logic. And there was a whole sort of um, systematic approach that the American guys were bringing with them that they had built in their own models within the States. And so it was a very good learning curve for me to sort of understand all of these systems and understand these logics that they put together in order to make a safe project. And, you know, you're talking a couple of thousand people maybe on the project at any one time, up to 10,000 people in, in some cases, uh, construction workers. So you're not talking small scale stuff. Um, but in around the same time or the same time period, um, um, as I grew within the contracting business that I was working for, um, I started looking after more and more of their projects, not just the major hyperscale stuff, but it was a project in Dublin, a Four Seasons Hotel project, and I would have been looking after that as well. So it was kind of stretched between going around to multiple different projects. And uh, I was on that Four Seasons project one morning when there was a bang on the door and there was basically someone outside shouting that there was a man down. And by that, when we went out to have a look, it was a young, uh guy 17 years of age and he had fallen into a hole head first and he was fighting for his life in a in a hole so we managed to get him out um i went in the ambulance with him and uh within 24 hours he was pronounced dead uh due to his head injuries um so it was a it was a very uh sort of wake up uh traumatic uh time for myself obviously for the family it was much worse but to see a guy fighting for his life um, in the hall and then in the in the ambulance and then in the A&E. Uh, it, it's it's uh, something that will stay with me for the rest of my life. But what I wasn't to know was uh, my younger brother, um, within a short spirit, period of time after that fatality, had a, a tragedy of his own where himself and two of his friends uh, drowned um, off the coast of Ireland where they were just waist high. Uh, throwing a ball to each other and a freak wave came in and the undercurrent swept them out to sea. So I suppose within a 24-month period, I had two massive events, traumatic events in my life. And I was kind of like, okay, is health and safety really for me? Wow. <laughs> um, and if it is, like, you're going to get, you're going to have to be, have the tools and have the mindset and the sort of the, uh the push to to continue on in this area otherwise it would just break it would just break me because i was very young at the time and um there was no such thing as counseling or anything at that time either so no one was talking about you know the aftershock of of events um but it definitely did shape my uh views and my empathy towards people you know i, I talked to people um on the basis of you know i could be that person myself and you know what do i want from the from the conversation in terms of you know not talking down to people talk to them at their own level bring them with you learn from them give them your experience share and collaborate together and work in in a, in a way that you treat people with respect and you res you expect that respect to come back to you and that has been that has stuck with me for years uh, where i'd still walk on projects now and people would come over and shake my hands. Oh, I remember you when you were on this particular project. I don't be on the sites as much or the projects as much, but um, I got great buzz from from that whole collaboration. And there, there's certainly some characters in the construction and uh, um, uh, especially in the construction industry anyway. And uh, I hope it continues to be so. But in terms of where health and safety is at, you know, it's moved on quite a lot since I started um, when I was only... 17 when I had started uh, on uh, on my path for health safety. Wow. Well, that's really something going through those, you know, a couple of tragedies, one of them extremely personal. And yet, you know, out of that, it drove you to a life's path. And uh, 
So, so I'm kind of curious. I know that Coil Group, you know, works with contractors across the globe. Um, it seems like safety regulations to some degree vary geographically, but by the same token, safety is safety. So how does that impact your business? How do you, um, how do you adjust to the fact that, you know, different areas probably have different regulations, but yet again, safety is safety. Yeah. Um, it's good. It's a great question. Um, like once you have a system that is organic to your business and it, and you can put your finger on any part of that system and it is live and it is actionable and it is, you know, um, something that you can stand over. That's a real system. Unfortunately, we've seen in the past where people have brought in maybe outside consultants or management consultants and said, like, you know, build me a system because our company is massive growth. And they tend to just pick a sort of a generic model system and they try and sort of pinhole that company into that particular system. Um, once you don't have any sort of input or sort of um how would you say, once you don't have your own footprint on that system, you can't really stand over it. And then, you know, when something goes wrong, everybody's going, well, you know, how come the system didn't pick this up and whatever else? The system didn't pick it up because people didn't embrace the system from the start and build the system from the ground up. So we're always conscious to say to people, you know, don't jump into creating a management system uh, that is a kind of an off-the-shelf approach. When you, when you decide that you want to build a system, think about it from a two-year uh, type project where you're just going to feed in information into exactly how you operate as a business because we all have our own nuances as regards how we deliver a project, not just from a safety perspective, but from quality and operations and people. And it's all those little nuances that actually make up your policies and your, your actions with how you're going to manage that system. And we're very, very strong about saying to people, you know, make it about you so that if anybody walks into that business, that all of your team can put their finger on any piece of that system and say, that's us. That's what we stand for. That's how we deliver. That's us. It may change because regulations might change. As you say, you might go into a different country. Um, but ultimately, there's a standard there that everybody is accustomed to. And you shouldn't change that for anybody other than the fact that you might have local regulations where a form might be a different definition or you might have to report in a, in a certain different way. But those are obstacles that could be overcome from a local expertise type of scenario where you bring in somebody and just say, look, can you navigate us here? So we've, for example, done a, a recent project for uh, offshore work where there's wind turbines be built and the question was, well, which, which regulation are we going to follow here, guys? And there was all major legal departments involved, you know, uh, lots of money being spent by the client. And we were kind of like, it, it's kind of not really relevant in terms of once you have the system that is, you know, accredited, internationally approved, the likes of an ISO system or an OSHA system, that will travel right out across the world. And then you just create the, the nuances. So what we done was we created webinar videos for all of their management team to say, here's the legislation you're used to before. Here's the other legislation that's actually meeting you on the nose for this particular project. Here's the higher standards that we believe you should follow that is above those regulations. And so if something does come fall down to the holes, we can always say, yeah, we took the legislation as a minimum standards but this is our standard i love that so it, it sounds like a lot of your clients are in in themselves international companies so they may be doing projects in in different countries and so forth so you know you're able to help them hey set their standards and then also make sure that they're uh, meeting anything local that might be special as well am i kind of understanding that correct yes okay yes 100 percent um, and as I said, you can bring in local knowledge wherever you need it, and it's not, it shouldn't, you know, it's not a, it's not a drama. But like anybody that's listening to the podcast, uh, if you don't have a proper planning schedule in place before you start the project, and we've all been there where we've started a project and we're two months in, 
And next thing there's fighting going on because guys are jockeying for position or, you know, there's a, a sort of a conflict uh, starting to arise between people trying to uh, do the right thing, but being coming up with barriers. And so most of that stems from uh, the pre-planning process where people just didn't get together in a workshop style um, mantra and said, okay, what do we want to get out of this project as a team, as contractors, as, as individuals? And I sort of create those goals and those aspirations and say, right, that's, that's the strategic vision for this project. Are we all agreed we're going to follow that? Unfortunately, that, that doesn't happen quite often as you think. Um, and we still see it today where, you know, it's too late by the time you're in the project because people are too focused on trying to deliver the project and they're in the project. You can't put on a handbrake at that stage. And you've just got to let it go and try and catch up. You surprised me earlier, uh, Gavin, when you said that those American companies coming into Ireland were the ones that brought this idea of the full-time health and safety officer, which may not be what uh, most would guess from those cutthroat capitalist Americans, you know, being the, uh, the ones that originated that. So curious, uh, making sure I heard that right, but then also getting your perspective on, you know, what countries are sort of leading the way in some of these guidelines, and are there some countries that might be lagging a little bit in that regard? I, I, I don't know if we could back up the whole cultural capitalist uh, comments because uh, that might get me in trouble. That. <laughs> uh, but again, no, I, know what you, I know what you mean. Um, um, look, uh, there's, there's Canada uh, has got a great reputation in terms of health and safety. Uh, people might say that they're overboard. It's not a nanny state. Uh, that's a different conversation for different topics. Uh, social political um, more so than safety and Australia has a good strong sense um, I, I like the Swedish model uh, personally myself in terms of health and safety because I remember going out to a wind project um, it was a test island the whole island was actually just a test island for wind turbines and reading the uh, safety framework document for Sweden and it was like it was like a couple of pages, it wasn't a couple of pages, but it was in, by comparison to other legal frameworks, which was so small, I couldn't get over it. I was like, wow, like that totally makes sense. You know what I mean? In terms of like, why would you just fill a whole book of legal jargon and throw it at people and say, here, uh, you know, we need you to follow the, the legislation. Like it, it's a minefield, uh, you know, there's so many different areas that you can get caught out on. Um, and they just brought it down into a small bit. Now, the, on the flip side of things, their social welfare and their employee welfare programs are kind of like a disadvantage to the capitalists because there's restrictions on hours, restrictions on time, you know, holiday periods and pensions and what you have to pay these people and stuff like that. And so that has a sort of a, a negative impact on progression uh, because obviously um things can't get done um and I, I, it's a pity that you know we don't have more of a, a freestyle open market approach to you know if people can do the job and they're effective in what they're doing and you can control the risk and you can demonstrate that well then you know leave them alone let them get on with the job and you know let's create people and companies that are managed in such a way that their reputation travels with them. And that's where we, for myself, had set up um, gavin-coil.com and wrote the book on workplace safety on a budget because we felt um, there was a whole business of safety um, model that was missing from the boardrooms in, in terms of making safety a profit center for your business as opposed to a regulatory compliance center, which is what people think about it today mm -hmm. as. So what we're talking about is, how can you look at your business from a safety perspective and make it more efficient from a safety perspective, which obviously raises safety standards, but also creates a situation where you stop spending money on certain things that have nothing got to do with the efficiency of your business and with the bottom line. And so how do we turn how do we get a better uh, return on investment for each pound you spend on safety? 
and what does that look like? And so you create a whole profit-centered mindset from the boardroom right down to the grass grassroots, and then you can repurpose that that dollar value saving back into better staff because you paid them better wages, better equipment because you couldn't buy that other equipment previously. So now you can repurpose that, and it's safer equipment, and it's more innovative, and it's more creative, and it's more it's producing more and better programs for the for the business and more bonuses for the people that are delivering on all the aspects of of a profit center uh within your within your business and that this is a a major talking point for me at the moment because it's a taboo subject to say i want you to cut your cost on safety uh you know nobody wants to say that because if something goes wrong the fingers point and say you're the man that said you know we should all reduce the cost and safety. Uh, I'm saying that and in an open uh, way from my, over my 20 years experience, people are spending a humongous amount of money on, on safety in different areas that have absolutely no drop down in terms of the sustainability of the business. And I, I have seen situations and there might be small contractors listening to the podcast where if you can raise the profile of your business from a safety perspective and have a reputation for a very safe business, you will win more work guaranteed. It might take a while, it might take a year or two to sort of create that sort of reputation. But clients, in my experience, and we deal with major clients, will actually go for a small contractor if they can raise the bar on health and safety and show that they have a sustainable model that's uh, and a plan for the future on health and safety and all of the people within their business buys into it. And that that takes time. But um, clients, in, in, in my experience, will pay the extra bit of money if they know they have a safe company that also can deliver quality. Yeah, I think that's really interesting. And it, it kind of goes down a line of something I wanted to ask you, Gavin, because you know I, I hear you talking a lot and we're talking about international businesses and boardrooms. And I'm thinking, yeah, a lot of contractors are much smaller than that and don't have all of that. Um, but yet, you know, you, you're giving them a framework of saying, hey, if you start everything with safety in mind and and then make that a hallmark of your company, it actually be, can become a, you know, a great marketing tool for you as well. Um, you know, let's talk a little bit about your book, Workplace Safety on a Budget, which I, I looked it up. You can get it on Amazon. So um, I haven't bought it yet, but I encourage everybody to check it out. Um, but so is that book applicable for anyone with any size of, of a contracting business? A hundred percent, Todd. Um, one of the main drivers for me writing the book was I felt that I wasn't getting access to the middle market and to the small scale market within, within construction and contracting in general. And I felt sort of, I wouldn't say an obligation, but because of our business was with premium clients and our people are at premium level in terms of cost base, we couldn't give that advice. We couldn't support the small to medium enterprises because we had niched ourselves into this premium market. So it was something that was known on me for a long time as regards, you know, we're not, I'm not really giving back anything to the guys that actually are as good as anyone, but they've decided to go out on their own and they might only be one man in a van or they might be, you know, somebody with 20 contractors. So how do I get, how do I, how do I, how do I, how do I, how do I make a difference on that? So the website we have is under construction for the last two years, but it's constantly be putting in, free uh, safety courses um, and then just paid certified courses that I would deliver um, that are like $29.99 per person, uh, free toolkits, uh, as much free advice as we can give people. Um, as the book is like $12 on Amazon. So again, it's it's not that I'm going to be uh, going to Monaco anytime soon. <laughs> <laughs> It, it, it's 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 safety information should be shared and should be um should be out there for everybody it shouldn't be a guarded secret um and the book covers every part of every business 
regardless of whether you're in construction or not, it can be any workplace. And whether you're somebody that's starting out in health and safety as a graduate and you want to, or you're thinking about starting out in safety, it's for you. If you're a seasoned professional and you want to understand how to put a different model in place to create more profit for you to spend money on other things in safety, it's for you. If you're an employer and you just want to navigate through health and safety and understand what are the hacks, if you like, of reducing my cost and safety, but still making a big impression to win to win over clients. That's the purpose of the book, and that's what we term the business of safety. Very interesting, um, and I'm, I know you mentioned earlier taking this one to two year kind of perspective on starting to build this culture in your business and building systems. But I'm curious, when you work with a new client, what are there any? Uh, do there seem to be any consistent? first steps or low-hanging fruit that, uh, to, you know, first recommendations you find yourself giving pretty regularly? Yeah, uh, great question, Seth. Um, uh, it's actually turning into a program. So uh, we were doing it uh, naturally ourselves without actually having a specific model program. Um, but uh, we, we've, we're breaking that down at the moment and we're actually, that's going to go live in the next couple of months as a program. Uh, we're just trying to figure out the monitor, monetary value of that for small to medium uh, companies. And then if there's large companies that come in, because we've done it for the larger companies. Um, and I'll give you a classic example where uh, to answer your, to, to give a simple answer for your question is we would do a gap analysis a discovery stage process initially to understand the logic of the business and how the business operates and the structure and you know what's happening and in this particular case it was like a 50 million dollar turnover business pretty strong business in the utilities uh, but when we got in and we started speaking to the workers which was over 100 workers they were all working in in uh, underground situations but they were actually employed as overhead linesmen so they should have been up on a pole, but they were down in a hole. And <laughs> what happened was they had one big major client contracts uh, the company had. And they told the guys, look, big news. We've got loads of work here for, for the next 20 years. But you're going to have to go into the holes and sort of do this kind of civils type work. And so all the guys did it because obviously they needed to feed their families and mortgages and the, the money was still good. But when I spoke to them, they were like, we were never employed to do this, Kevin. You know, this is not us. So we went back to the, the, the contractor and we said, look, we think there's a great opportunity here that there is companies out there that specifically do that task. You've now got a load of data built up in your business of how much time it takes, what type of person you need. It wasn't a competency-based task. So they weren't being flaunting the rules of safety in terms of putting incompetent people into a competent situation it wasn't it was menial type tasks but still still they'd done this and uh so they had all this information and then we said right let's go to tender now so we helped them with the tender process and we helped them select a contractor who specifically that's all they'd done and they knew exactly to the dollar value how much that was worth to them in terms of savings so now their people got out of the hole they become more productive because now you had more capacity to take on more work because now your real people, your direct staff had had time to do other things. And you had a company that was just focused on those particular tasks that these guys were doing anyway. And you knew the margins and you knew how much you were making. And uh, we still have a, a kind of a, a right smile with that, with that company because they've made over a million in terms of savings and they've gone on to bigger things as a company. And it's just, again, it's just another way of companies to say, stand back. What are you actually doing? And what is your specialty? And what are you? what is your focus? And where do you want to be? And what type of an organization do you want to be known for? And sometimes we get distracted or pulled into areas which we, we don't belong. And safety has an impact on that because people were demotivated. They weren't happy in the, in the job they were in. And they were just going through the motions. Yeah, and that opportunity was identified by talking to your people, and so there's a good leadership principle there too. Of maybe that's yeah. the place to start. So uh, another another classic example, uh, just just to add to that is when we interview people, um, which we do as part of the process, 
we find that there's a, there's a disparity of information being given back to us by the people, and it's it's done in a confidential uh, manner, so people can speak openly and freely. But what we're really thinking about on that call is, um, with that with that person, with the manager, whoever it is, the guy on the shop floor. If there's an accident, that person is going to say the exact same thing to the health and safety inspector that has to uh, prosecute uh, your company. And, you know, some of these guys are saying exactly how they feel. And it's not really good in some cases. They're saying, you know, well, we know we break the process on such and such a thing. We know we don't really follow through on that particular procedure, and you know, or my manager doesn't really care about safety and stuff like that. Like, so if he's going to say it to me, he's going to say it to a health and safety inspector who's prosecuting maybe an accident. So we need to know if people, we need to have a forum that people can express their views and be open about that. They shouldn't have, obviously, have to be um, reprimanded in any way, shape or form. But we need to be open about our conversations and so that the, the trust can be built in such a way that it's open and transparent for the whole business. And, you know, that's an, an area that people kind of shy away from as well. Is they, they don't really want exactly what you just said there, Seth. They don't really set aside the questions to be asking to people in such a way that, you know, well, okay, but if, if you feel that's a problem, let's address the problem. Let's have an open forum and let's talk about it. Now, if you don't follow through, you know, you're, you're back to your culture question and you're mm-hmm. back to, it's not just safety that's going to be affected. Everybody's job is going to be affected now if we if we have this type of environment going on. Very interesting. Um, and I think that's, you know, when you talk about transparency and openness, I, th- I think a lot of companies do struggle with that when it comes to these important things. Everyone kind of wonders, well, who's listening to this and who's watching me and, you know, who, who am I really saying this to? And so I, I love that if you as a company, as a consultant, can bring that kind of openness out of people, that's that's great. Um, kind of backing up a little bit, I'm I'm still kind of thinking a lot about this concept of businesses using their safety record as, you know, as something they promote to prospective clients. Um, I don't see that happen very much. I mean, no. are there any companies you've seen who are really good at that or any tools, you know, for, for being good at that? I was, go- I was going to say Boeing, but I, 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 uh, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, I don't, I don't think, I don't think, uh, but, but does, doesn't it go to show, you know, uh, without going into sp- specifics, where was the open and transparent um, mm-hmm. discussion mm-hmm. around that whole scenario? Right. And, you know, a company with massive resources uh, in terms of safety and in general, but still, when it came and like so, so what does that what does that tell you? It doesn't matter what what the size of the company is. That same environment or culture can be transferred into a small company. And if you're a small business owner, listen to the podcast. You know, just because it's Bowen or just because it's whoever size company, the same challenges are in everybody's business. It's just a different scale. And at the end of the day, a fatality is a fatality. It's, it, it doesn't. It's a person, it's a, it's a family, and there's a massive collateral damage that comes out of that. Um, every company that we've dealt with all has their own challenges. Uh, there's nobody that can say they have a clean bill of health or that they're, you know, they're, um, they're the leader, if you like, in terms of health and safety. But as, as you said, Todd, how do they promote themselves in, in terms of how do they get their message out there as a safe company? Like, you know, where is it that there is an implied uh, uh, sort of mantra within the client to say, you know, I don't, I just know this company's safe anyway because I know their reputation and I know that they're safe. I don't like, there's, they don't even have to really challenge it so much because they just know that when you're talking to really good, competent people, you know that they're going to deliver for you. And fortunately, and especially in the contracting game, um, the dilution of uh, people's profits as you go down the food chain gets worse and worse, and therefore the output gets worse and worse. And so we see people going bankrupt, and we see accidents happening, and you see things that are happening that shouldn't be happening. And so 
we go back to transparency. There isn't a transparent process per se in how we award contracts, how we procure, procure contracts, and how we have an open, honest discussion about there's enough in the pot for everybody here. So why don't we come together as a, as a collective team of contractors and we say to clients, look, we're actually more unified than you think we are. We have a common purpose. We have a common goal. We all want to make money and we don't want to sort of have to go down the sparring route of subcontracting out work to another subcontractor is going to subcontract out again and again and again. And next thing it, it breaks and we all go, we didn't even know this company existed. We thought we gave this contract to X carpentry or services or whatever else. Like just if if we want to talk about start correct, correcting uh, situations within the system, the procurement system has major challenges in, in, my, in our experience. Todd, hearing him talk, I'm thinking about the times that we both had being in the house with, you know, one of our dealers selling a roof and either the husband or the wife making the comment that they want to go on vacation when the roof is being installed because it's going to stress them out too much seeing the guys walk up all around the roof and worried something's going to happen. And definitely the companies that have a clear process and, and a system in place and can give a clear answer about how they're going to keep their people safe as well as the property safe during during it are going to have a clear advantage versus those that can't say much than other than I have no idea what the sub is going to do when he's up there. <laughs> so, yeah. uh, to, yeah. uh, you know, knowing, knowing what your plan is to keep people safe is, you know, clear advantage in those cases. I, I always think it's interesting whenever, you know, someone is looking at buying something or contracting out for a service. I, I think they always start with the assumption that everything's going to go right amongst everyone that they're talking to as far as possible yeah. bidders of their project. And some companies gradually sort of eliminate themselves in, during that bidding process where they start to yeah. realize, oh, things may not go quite so right with this company. Um, and, and yet the cream always rises to the top, uh, hopefully. Yeah, well, we, we all know that there's, you know, we, plenty of tenders go out and then uh people don't really think about their capacity. Mm -hmm. And uh, next thing, there's a contract that comes in, so, oh, we won that contract. And everybody's looking at each other, we actually won that contract. <laughs> and, <laughs> you know, oh shit, like, you know, sorry for the language, but yeah. like, where are we going to get the people to deliver this? Yeah, right. Um, okay, well, look, we'll scramble, blah, 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 and next thing. And in a lot of cases, there should be some sort of a lead-in period where there's a cooling off period. And um, we talk about cooling off in contracts. There should be a cooling off period for, for contractors to allow them to get up to speed with regards to what the requirements are for projects. Because, you know, a lot of people don't ask the question, have you got the capacity to deliver this? And how many other tenders have you got that are out there that are live at the moment? And what sort of resources do you have around that that actually might affect the, prob the the chances of you not turning up on a Monday or turning up on a Friday and telling me you can't do the job anymore. Well, Gavin, this has been very interesting. Um, and, you know, I really do encourage everyone to check out your book, Workplace Safety on a Budget. Um, also, of course, uh, GavinCoil.com and, and looking up the Coil Group. But is there anything that we haven't covered today that you'd like to share with our audience? No, I, I just want everybody to um, embrace health and safety as a tool of your business that's going to make you money and that's actually going to improve the quality and the standard of your work. And that, you know, you will attract really good people to your business if you have a reputation for health and safety. Wow, we hadn't even touched on that yet, but you're, yeah, that makes every bit of sense. Um, so I, I love your model here of just helping businesses look at safety as a way to grow themselves to to profitability and and other levels of success um, rather than this sort of necessary evil that, oh, I got to do this to meet regulatory requirements or something. Right. Yeah. And it shouldn't be so positive. Right. And it shouldn't be taboo. And it just it. Uh, yeah, it makes so much sense because it's a it's an individual kind of pers a single perspective that everyone can get behind in the organization, regardless of how many degrees you are removed from the hazard itself. So it makes total sense. 
Very good. Well, I have to ask you, Gavin, before we close out this episode, um, if you're willing to participate in something we call our rapid fire questions. So this is where we have a little fun at the end of most episodes. And uh, we will ask you seven questions that may be serious, may be silly. All you have to do is give an answer. Um, and everyone needs to understand that uh, you, Gavin, has absolutely no idea what we're about to ask. So um, are you up to the challenge of rapid fire? Yeah, my Wi-Fi is a little bit unsteady at the moment, Todd. So just in case it drops out, you know. Oh, <laughs> it'll, it'll, it honestly, it's not a scary prospect. Yeah. Hello, Todd. Hello, Todd. <laughs> well, let's go. Um, we're, we'll alternate asking. Seth, you want to start out? Sure. So rapid fire question number one. What product have you bought in recent memory that has been a disruptor or game changer for you? Yeah, I have to say I had a Microsoft laptop and I thought Microsoft was the, the you know, the Microsoft Surface. I thought it was phenomenal. I thought this was definitely going to trump the Apple and because I'd always be an Apple. And I had a heartbreak with that Microsoft. I never want to see Microsoft <laughs> ever again. <laughs> I absolutely love Apple. And I'm not being paid by Apple, by the way, but like... Um, yeah, I, I don't. I don't want to get into a lawsuit here, but like, I'm not going to discuss the issues. But uh, <laughs> a brand new laptop shouldn't be doing some of the stuff my laptop was doing. But the wow. Apple is working perfectly. Thank you. Thank you. <laughs> well, all four of us uh, involved with the show here today are, are Apple folks, so uh, uh, you're in you're in yeah. a friendly audience there. Mm -hmm. So, question number two. Um, what part of a business do you think absolutely must be gotten right? In other words, if a business can't get this right, there's no point in even attempting anything else. This may be a softball question for you, or maybe it's a little bit harder. I don't know. Yeah, like at the end of the day, we spoke about it earlier. If your if your um, if your culture and your systems and your processes doesn't match up, go home. It's mm -hmm. not worth it. You're, you're in total disarray, you're in chaos, you're in negative uh, territory, and you you don't know what you're doing. And uh, and that might sound harsh, but like if you want to rain check, and if you haven't got the strength, or if you can't bring people around you that can give you the strength and the competency to deliver in those areas, you're going to be a failure. That's, that's a good answer. Very good. Absolutely. Question number three, what would you like to be remembered for? Uh, I was thinking of some events on a Saturday night, but that's not going to happen. I don't think that's going to I'd like to be able to, for people to say that uh, I've done my best in health and safety to deliver safety for people at all levels, regardless of who or where they are in the, in the world or what size of company they work for or what age they are or race or anything or whatever. It's just, you know, at the end of the day, um, everybody deserves safety. Good stuff. So our first three questions were a little heavier. The next four are actually a little more lighthearted, just so you know. <laughs> um, okay. Question number four. If you had to eat a crayon, what color of crayon would you choose? Oh my God, <laughs> that's not a safe. That's not a safe question. To ask. I knew, I knew that would come up. Oh my God! Next question, please. <laughs> <laughs> ask a safety person that question. Oh, I remember you. You're the crayon man. <laughs> yeah, safety guy. Tells everybody he eats crayons, or he tells people he eats crayons. <laughs> I, I'm sorry, I can't go there. That's 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 actually. Uh, that's a planted question, Todd. I have to say, fair play. Well, you, you roll that one in very nicely to see and test me. <laughs> Moving on. Moving on. We will God. move on. I, I'm not sure what yeah. your reaction will be this next one, though. So Whoa. <laughs> so next one. You're trying to survive a zombie apocalypse. What one person do you definitely want on your team? Oh, Elon Musk all day. Really? Every day. Wow. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, he's got the assets. He's got the resources. He's got the he's got the spaceship to get us out of. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> oh, good Very answer. Good. I like it. Okay, next to last question: Are you a morning person or a night owl? 
good question. I would suggest I be a night owl. I, I was more of a night owl when I was younger, but as I get older, I'm a morning person. I <laughs> out about nine o'clock at night. Yeah. Uh, all right, last rapid fire question. Would you prefer to have to wear bell bottom pants or have your hair styled in a mohawk? Oh my God. Well, look at that. Have you seen my hair? <laughs> well, I'm. I'm or what's left of it? I'll go with the mohawk because then it kind of has an aspiration that I do have hair. There you go. <laughs> <laughs> Love it. Love it. Good answer. This has been a real pleasure and um, very eye-opening to learn about your business. Um, so, um, again, if you could remind us, um, for folks who want to get in touch with you or follow what you're doing, uh, what are the best ways for them to do that? So, I'm on LinkedIn. Uh, always happy to connect with people on LinkedIn. Um, and the book is on Amazon.com, Workplace Safety on a Budget, and Gavin-Coyle.com is the website uh, with the book and with the free courses and the free resources and all that good stuff. So really, I'd, I'd encourage people to go to that website. Um, and either way, you'll get me through those channels. Even uh, though we have Coil Group website, I would, I would suggest go to gavin-coil.com. Uh, you'll still get me anyway. Great. Well, and we will put all those in the show notes as well. Um, but we do encourage folks to check you out further as well. And um, just some great concepts here about safety uh, that I think are really disruptive for contracting businesses. So I, I sure hope people check it out. So um, thank you again, Gavin, for being here today. It's been a real pleasure. 100%. Great. Had a great time. And thank you very much for having me, guys. And I will also thank our audience for tuning into this episode of Construction Disruption with Gavin Coyle of Coyle Group, and he is also the safety CEO. So please watch for future episodes of our podcast. We're always blessed with great guests. Uh, don't forget to leave a review, please, on Apple Podcasts or YouTube. Um, until the next time we're together, though, I encourage everyone, um, keep on disrupting, keep on doing things different from everybody else, and also don't forget to have a positive impact on everyone you encounter. Make them smile, encourage them, simple yet powerful things we can all do to change the world for someone. Um, so God bless and take care. This is Isaiah Industries signing off. Until the next episode of Construction Disruption. This podcast is produced by Isaiah Industries, manufacturer of specialty metal roofing and other building products. <laughs>